is the last week in the Colossians series, and you, the text that Liz just read and you guys read with her, it concludes the series as Paul is finishing, it's his closing words to this church in Colossae. Remember, Paul's in prison in Rome, and he's writing this letter to encourage them because there are these people that have come into Colossae, they're Jewish, and they're trying to make these Gentile Christians Jewish, and they're saying, if you really wanna be secure in Jesus, then you need to do these things. If you wanna make sure that you're saved, then here are the things that you must do in order to be who you wanna be. And Paul is reminding them here today, and he's reminding us, no, it's not you do these things to be who you are, it's who you are that determines what you do. It's not what you do that determines who you are, it's who you are determines what you do. You know, one of the great things about being a pastor that I didn't really connect with when I decided to go to seminary was learning that I get to officiate weddings. And one of the great privileges I I get is to officiate weddings of of young couples and, and just couples, but one of the greatest honors is being able to do that for some dear friends of mine, being able to officiate the wedding of their children and some of them that I've seen grow up. So it's been really an awesome responsibility. But it's fun to sit down with them and sort of like listen to them talk about what they expect marriage to be and what they expect it to look like and then to reflect back on my own life about what I thought marriage was going to be and what it was going to look like and looks a whole lot different from this perspective than I can tell you it does from that perspective and it's a great way to just sort of help encourage them that the marriage that they want, the life that they want together is something that develops over time. It's something that you become but there's, a, there's something that happens at the very beginning, and that is you're changed. Who you are is no longer the same. You know, in our culture, it's when you say I do, right? When you say I do, now you're married, right? Before that, it's a little hazy for some. We have some oats to sow, and we think we can do that all up until the day we get married. But when we're married, right, we're no longer single. We're no longer one. Scripture says the two have become one. And the picture we get is that God has knit those two together. It's something that God has done. And Jesus adds to it, and what God has brought together, let no man separate. And so as you look at yourself as a a married person, right, it's the fact that you're married determines how you live. It's not how you live that determines if you're married. You are married, and as a married person, you no longer live like a single person, right? When you go out to the bars, if you do with your friends that are single, your choices are different because you're married, or at least they should be. (laughs) And it's who you are that determines the decisions you make, the choices you make, the way you act. That's what Paul's reminding us of today. When we find ourselves off-center, his words as he begins today is, remember who you are. Because if you remember who you are, that will determine your choices. That will determine how you act. You don't act this way to earn this identity. This identity has been given to you by Jesus. He's the one that's earned it. He's the one that's given it to you. There's nothing you do to earn it. We do these things because that's who we are. And so who you are determines what you do. 
when we get off center, we're to be reminded, who are you? That should be a question that we ask ourselves. And that's where Paul begins in today's text. He reminds us who we are. He starts off and says, if then you have been raised with Christ, and it goes back to this baptismal language we talked about last week, this picture of baptism where we are buried with Christ in baptism, into his baptism, and when we come out of the water of baptism, we are raised to a new life. We are no longer the same. It's like this. Think about Genesis 3, fallen, sinful man. That was us before baptism. Buried in baptism, raised to new life, we're now Genesis 1, living in as a new creation. In the image of Christ, that is who we are. And he says, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things are above, not on the things that are of the earth. Now, as we read those words, what Paul's reminding them is that in order to be centered under Jesus, we have to seek him. We have to fix our eyes on him. We have to be centered under him, on the things that are important to Jesus. But that does not mean we sit with God's word and all we do is meditate on God's word and learn more about Jesus and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we learn more about Jesus and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. What Paul's trying to communicate to us is that we seek the things from above. We set our minds on the things of Jesus. And what Paul's really communicating here in, in this language is we need to see things as Jesus sees them. And he reminds us who Jesus is. He's the one that sits at the right hand of God. Now, it's not literally sitting at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is where the power of God is in Jesus. He's the supreme authority. He is the preeminent one. He is the authority of authorities. And it's his perspective of everything that is the true perspective. Jesus sees everything as it truly is. And Paul's saying to you and I, as saved children of God, he calls us to see things as Jesus sees them. And that begins with you. He says, you need to see yourself as Jesus sees you. Holy, beloved, perfect in his eyes. That's how Jesus sees you. That's your identity. And it's hidden away with God, in Christ, the supreme authority. And that cannot be taken away. That is who he says, you are. And that is his encouragement to remind you who you are, how Jesus sees you. Set your mind on Jesus and his perspective of things. But not only his perspective of you, but of others. Because remember, Jesus came to die not just for you. He did come to die just for you, but for everyone else as well. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we no longer consider the world from an earthly manner. We consider them in Jesus. And so Paul calls this church at Colossae and us as well to see one another, to see ourselves first and more foremost as we are, as his, secure in that identity. And that identity changes everything. It changes how we live. We're no longer single. 
we're betrothed. We are no longer our own. We are his. And being his, seeing ourselves as he sees us, it changes everything. It changes how we live, how we conduct our lives, how we treat others, how we see others, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and his perspective. That's his call to us. When someone tries to knock you off center and make you feel uncertain about who you are, he's saying, remember who you are. Remember who Jesus says you are. Remember who you are. Who you are determines what you do, not what you do. What you do doesn't determine who you are. It's a beautiful picture of identity in Jesus. John says this, though. He says, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. What John is saying, and what Paul was also saying, is that when you look in the mirror, when you look at your life, when you have these memories, that's not who you are. That's not who you will be. That's not who you are right now. But right now, you're being made into the image of Jesus. At the same time, you are perfect in his sight. You just can't see it yet because you still have sinful eyes. You still have a warped perspective. You still don't see him fully yet. But Paul tells us when you see him, then you will see yourself as he sees you, completely, fully. Is that not exciting? Is that not just exciting to, to anticipate what that day will be like? When you get to see the glorified self with Jesus? as you are right now, but you just can't see it. But that's how he sees you. But in the meantime, he says, there's work to do. There's work to do here, now, in this life. Not just, we'll wait till everything's made perfect then. No, there's this sanctification that happens now of making you more and more like Jesus. While one day you will be like him, today, you are being made into his image. He is working in you, and you are working with him in that work. And that's why he continues to say to us, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. There's this picture of this daily dying to self, this daily putting off of your old self, the way that you used to be. When my daughter was 14, my oldest daughter was 14, I was coaching girls fast pitch softball and uh, travel ball. Um, and so we would practice, we would take the team and we would go to the Bull Sox Academy. You guys know where that is over here in Lyle? The, and it was right after it opened, which was fantastic, that there was this indoor facility run by this professional organization with professional coaches. One of the softball coaches there used to coach in the professional women's teams and she was amazing. And one day we were in there coaching the team and she looked at me and she was like, Tony, what is that? And I'm like, what? She's like, are you a coach? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a coach. She's like, well then what is that? And I'm like, what do you mean, what is that? And she's like, there, on your lower half, what is that? 
And what she was pointing to were these. Okay? They're called Zubas. You guys, any of you guys remember Zubas? They became popular when I was about 25 years old. When my daughter's 14, I'm 40. And I'm still wearing these, and I think they're nice because they're comfortable. And I used to wear them to practice all the time. You know what I just saw? There's like a big old hole in the back. So maybe that's what she was pointing at. I don't know. But anyway, so, and I had a whole drawer of these things too. Like, not just shorts, but pictured like the long pant version, you know? And I'm telling you, they're comfortable. But she's looking at me and she's like, so you're a coach and you're wearing these. Okay, first of all, that's not what coaches wear. That's not how coaches dress. If you're gonna be a coach, you need to put on some coach's pants and you need to take those things off and you need to burn them. <laughs> so I stuck them in a drawer. Because <laughs> one day I was gonna use it as a sermon illustration. I don't know what, you know. <laughs> and so from that day forward, I no longer wore those to practice. I might sneak them around the house, but I never wore them to practice because that's not what coaches wear. She's like, take those things off. You're embarrassing your daughter. She won't tell you that, but I'll tell you that. That's not what coaches do. You have to take those things off. You're no longer just a dad sitting in the stands. You're a coach. You're not just coaching your daughter. You're coaching all these girls. You're a coach, and that's not how coaches dress. So you gotta take those off, and that's what Paul's saying to these Christians in Colossae. Well, you still need to take off that old self. There's a daily dying that happens to yourself to these sins that still hearken for your attention and want you to live in this old way because you're used to wearing them, they're comfortable. It's what you're used to, but that's not who you are anymore. You need to put these aside because that's not who you are. These sins demean you and they demean others. These first set of sins are sexual sins and this sin of covetousness where you want what somebody else is and really it's getting at idolatry getting at this idea of money, trying to find your identity in sex and money. And that's not where your identity's found. That's not who you are. You're no longer that. You have to, every day, put those off. Take those off. Put them to death. Don't just wash them and put them back on. Take them off and leave them off. Put them away. And it's not a one-time thing. While we are completely clean in Jesus' eyes, as we will be, as we are now in his presence, but yet in this body, still in this life, there's a daily putting off of our old self, a daily dying to our old self, to our old ways, because that's comfortable. It's what we know. But here's the thing. Because of what Jesus has done, we can take those off. See, before he conquered sin and death and declared us righteous, we had no power to take these clothes off. That's who we were. But now, because he has declared us righteous, now because he has conquered sin and death, we can now, because of him, take these off. We're no longer bound by these. We're no longer the same person. Remember who you are. 
And because you are a saved child of God, he goes on to say, so then put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, right? You're already God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As that, that is your identity. As a new child, as a new creation, as a Genesis 1 creation of God, beloved, put on holy, Beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. That is who you are. That is how you live. Not to earn the status of being beloved and holy, but because you are beloved and holy. Because Jesus has defeated sin and death. Because he has named you as his own. We live as Jesus. You know, when, one of the things I get to do when I marry couples is talk to them. I say, pick a verse. I would love for you guys to pick a verse that's meaningful for you out of Scripture to help describe to me what it is you're desiring for your marriage. And probably eight out of ten times, they pick 1 Corinthians 13. That's one of the pictures that you see, not just at weddings that I have officiated, but at other weddings where they pick this verse. And it's really a picture of what, what love looks like. And it's their desire for their marriage. This is what they want. This is how they love one another. They have a picture, they have a picture of love. And this is what describes it. I would say they don't have a full picture of love because they haven't lived it. But they have a full picture of love here. This is what they desire. And what I would say is they desire Jesus. Because I love to take them through the text and say, every place it says love Insert Jesus. Read it like this. Good grief. Read it like this. Love is patient. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no records of wrong. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. He says to us, put on Jesus. As you live with one another, put on Jesus. Take off those sins of disunity. Take off those sins that divide you. Take off those sins that demean you. Daily, put on the life of Jesus. And he gives us what that picture looks like. And then he tells us that we have to wrap it all up in love. Because that's what binds it all together, is Jesus. Not us, but Jesus. I tell couples, what your spouse, what your future spouse needs of from you is not more of you. They need more of Jesus. And you have an opportunity to be Jesus to your spouse. You, we, have an opportunity to be Jesus to one another. And that's what Paul says we need to put on daily, is Jesus. He goes on to tell us that then we need to be, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, the church, to be at peace with one another, 
not arguing with one another, not pointing our fingers at one another, but living at peace with one another. And not just here, but with other fellow Christians around the globe to live at peace, not arguing over silly things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with all kinds of instruments, I would add, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Put on Jesus every day. That's what he tells us. Take off yourself and put on Christ. That's what it means to be beloved and holy. Because you are beloved and holy, you can put on Jesus and be Jesus to the world. Be Jesus to one another. But to do that, he says, we need help. My dad said he prayed for years that he, God would send somebody into my life that would change me, and he sent my wife. And he said, we give thanks for her all the time. <laughs> and she turned out to be the only one that could change me. We need other people in our lives to sort of help us and encourage us to like say, what is that? Yeah, you need to like take that off. But we do so in love and we do so with compassion and we do with humility, as he calls us not with pride and arrogance, but with humility, seeking what's best for one another. We admonish and we correct one another with compassionate hearts and in kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and we receive correction with the same heart, with the same kindness, with meekness, with patience. And when we've been wrong, we forgive one another because that's what Jesus did for me. Not really because you deserve it. Not really because I'm a great guy, but because Jesus did that for me. He says, now you forgive one another. That's what it means to put on Jesus. And he says, that type of identity, it changes everything. Philippians 2, Paul tells the church of Philippi the same thing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Here we go. Value others above yourselves. Every day, value others above yourself. Put that on every day. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's what it means to put on Jesus. That's who you are. Why would you go back and live the other way? Why would you go back and live single? That's not who you are. You're a child of God. You're a brother and sister of Jesus Christ. Put Jesus on every day. And see if that doesn't change how you see yourself and how you see the world. See if you don't start to get a little bit of glimmer of what your future self really looks like or what your current self, I would say, really looks like. How exciting is that to be Jesus to other people? To see sort of that look in their eye that bewilderment, that why would you treat me that way? What an amazing responsibility. And Paul says we have the opportunity to do that in every aspect of our lives. He goes into this next section. He says, as wives, as husbands, as fathers, as children, as masters, as bondservants, and today we could say as employers or as employees, we have the opportunity to be Jesus everywhere we go. 
And these descriptions here are the whole household in that time. It was their whole life. Their whole life revolved around their household and around their community. And it was a call to be Jesus everywhere. We have an opportunity, small and old, to be Jesus to everybody. As children, to our parents, as parents, to our children. And one of the warnings he says to fathers, fathers, don't exacerbate your kids. Don't be overbearing on them. You know, one of the studies I've read about passing along your faith, one of the things that that really deters a child from following in the footsteps of their parents' faith is a father who's cold and distant and overbearing. Interesting, 2,000 years ago, Paul saying that's one of the problems. Dads, put on Jesus. Sometimes as Jesus, we need to say to our kids, can you forgive me? You know, I should have never said that. It's one of the hardest things to do, but it's one of the most amazing things to see the forgiveness in your kid's eyes. We can say, forgive me. And our kids can forgive us. And we can do the same for them. We teach them to admit. We teach them that, yeah, I'm not who I I should be, but guess what? I know who I am, and I know that through you, Dad. I know that through you, Mom. We get to be Jesus to our kids and we get to be Jesus to our spouses and we get to be Jesus to our employers. Not just because they pay us, but because we're serving them, Paul says, as we serve God. We don't just serve them when they're looking at us and so they'll reward us with a pay raise. No, we serve them, Paul says, as we're working for God, as we're serving the Lord. We see our employer as we see Jesus. Whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. Every area of our life, Paul says, put on Jesus. It doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. It doesn't just happen in small group. It doesn't just happen with with your Christian friends. It happens everywhere. And what an amazing opportunity it is for us, the church that's talked about and and scorned in our culture and, and just kicked out of the public square. What opportunity we have to make a difference that people would see the church differently because we make a decision every day to put off that old self and to put on our new identity, the one that we live in, the one that is real. And Paul says that when you do so, pray. (laughs) Pray every day. Prayer is an act of humility. You understand that? Prayer is getting down on your knees and admitting to Jesus, I can't do this. I cannot live this way. It is so much easier to live like that sixth grade Tony. It's so easy to live like him. And I need your help, Lord. I need your help. I cannot do this by myself. Paul says, pray steadfastly, continuously, forever. Pray. But he also tells us, we read elsewhere, and Jesus tells us, the Spirit lives in you. He has given you power. He hasn't left you on your own. He's given you the Spirit. But he says, humble yourselves and admit, not only to me, but to yourself, that you can't do this. But it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Paul says. In his power, I can put on Jesus. 
I can be Jesus to my neighbor. I can be Jesus to my wife. I can be Jesus to my child. I can be Jesus to my employer. I can be Jesus to my employees. With the power of Jesus, I can be Jesus to the world. That's what Paul is encouraging these Christians. Don't listen to this. Don't listen to these people. And they try to knock you off. Said, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Not just in the body of believers, but in the world. It says walk in wisdom toward outsiders, people that don't know Jesus, people that don't understand what it is to live as Jesus, making the best use of your time. And let your speech be gracious, not malicious, not filthy. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt so that it tastes good, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's when you put on Jesus that you will know. It's when you pray for his power that you will know how to answer everyone. When you humble yourselves and admit that you don't have the answers, that you don't have the power, but that within you lives that power and he, through you, can provide answers to those that ask you for the reason, the hope that you have. We can be Jesus to the world. And the whole time, he's remaking us daily, more and more into the image of his son, but not just individually, collectively. We get to grow up into Jesus. As we put off the old self every day, not to earn that right, but because we have that right, we put off the old self. And we put on Jesus so that the world would know who we are. The world would know who he is. Jesus says, if you love one another as I loved you, the world will know that you are my disciples. Why? Because we look like Jesus. That's why. You find yourself off-center? You find yourself wondering if you're off-center? Remind yourself, who are you? If you can't figure it out, ask somebody to help you. Help me recenter my life. I need help doing this. I can't do it by myself. That's why he's given us the church, to practice humility. You know, we have prayer partners in the corners of the room every weekend, and we say, receive prayer. And I know a lot of times we don't receive prayer because everybody will then know I've got a problem. That's okay. So do we. We pray for God's power, the power that already lives in us, and we do so for the sake of others, but also so that we can get a little bitty glimpse of what Jesus sees right now. And if we could just get a little glimpse of that, it changes everything. It changes how you see yourself, and it certainly changes how you see others. And then it just changes the world. I pray you'll recenter your life under Jesus every single day. You will remind yourself who you are. Let him remind you who you are and what you mean to him. Amen.